the memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10, Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times, the red blood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, the winner. It won't be this time. The Stories. Prukop to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, Buff fans from CU at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the CU at the Game website and your host for the CU at the Game podcast. Well, it was a great day to be a Buff last Saturday with Colorado picking up win number one on the 2022 season with the 20-13 overtime win over Cal. I am joined for this podcast by Brad Geiger and Neil Langland, and we will start with a recap of the Buffs' big victory, including thoughts on what interim head coach Mike Sanford, who has rejuvenated the CU locker room, would have to do in order to earn an interview for the full-time position as CU's head coach. We will then present our tips for the Oregon State game. Oregon State is 5-2 and two on the season, and the Beavers are coming off a high of their own. Their first win over Washington State since 2013. So, what is it about Oregon State? A team which is not great at anything, but very good at everything. How will the forecast for a wet Saturday night in Corvallis play into the strategies for the game? Can the CU offense, not noted for red zone prowess, get into the end zone against one of the top red zone defenses in the country? And the real question, was the CU victory over Cal a one-and-done for the 2022 Buffs? Or will the momentum carry the Buffs to more wins in the second half of the season? Let's find out. Okay, and we're back and joined once again by Brad Highlands Ranch Geiger. How's Brad doing? Good. I was actually in town for the game this week, and it was nice to uh, a good choice to be. So it was fun. And downtown Neil Langland, how are you doing? Just dodging scooters and bicycles and cars, but otherwise fine. Okay. Well, we got to uh, talk about a victory, which is something we haven't done since November of 2021 and the Washington game some 11 months ago. Colorado 20, Cal 13 in overtime. Coach Mike Sanford becomes the third coach in Colorado history to have their first game against the Cal Bears, which is kind of impressive since we've only had 12 or 13 games in history against Cal Bears. One was Kurt Roper as an interim coach after Mike McIntyre got fired at the end of the 2018 season. And the other was 1982, None other than Bill McCartney. McCartney. And his first game against Cal. And since you guys are old like me, the other coach on the opposing sideline was one Joe Cap. 
who <laughs> Brad, who was a Minnesota Vikings fan before he became a Bronco fan, will recognize as the quarterback for the Minnesota Vikings in Super Bowl four. Yes, and, I was going yeah, to say in the sixties, for God's yes. sake. And, also, the ex-Cal quarterback, and as and a pro, I remember him for his wobbly passes and his single-bar face mask. Wow, going way, way, way back. <laughs> and, and consequently, his, his nose had a slight turn to the left. As yes. <laughs> and as Dave Platty likes to point out, it was one of those rare games where both coaches were making their debuts. Bill McCartney and Joe Cap were both coaching their first game. And Cal came away with victories in both of those first two games for CU coaches making their debut. But Mike Sanford is the interim coach, comes away with a victory 20 to 13 in overtime. Neil, what were your initial overview thoughts of the first victory of the 2022 season for the Colorado Buffaloes? Well, I'm going to resist being analytical at this stage and just say it was great to see the Buffs play with such energy. Very gratifying to see that all the work and changes that they had talked about in the press uh, actually happened and actually made a difference, made the team fun to watch. It was one of the better games you'd ever see in terms of suspense, a little sloppy at times, but the Buffs played with a lot of heart and determination, and that was just the best part. And the crowd responded, and it turned into one of those magical, fulsome days. Great day to be a Buff and to be there. It was also payback, I think, for the 2011 game with Cal, which I think also went into overtime, where Cal squeaked one out at the very end. So the wheels of fortune have been balanced. Okay. Well, they also had the 59-56 double overtime game with, with Seppo throwing for a six or seven touchdowns. And so you still lost, I think, Nelson Spruce. Had a big day in that one, um, but or Scotty McKnight, one of the two, but somebody set a lot of records in that game, and CU still lost 59 to 56. Well, Brad, a sellout crowd, the whiteout, an afternoon in Boulder that was beautiful for TV and the 16 people that were watching it on the Pac 12 networks. What were your thoughts and uh, enjoyment of the 20 to 13 overtime win over the Bears? Oh, I think Neil's 100%. Right. The defense in particular played their best game. I know they gave up 400 yards. I know that they allowed 38 minutes time of possession, but they, for the first time, played well enough that when the breaks came their way, it mattered. The turnovers mattered. The key plays, stopping third downs mattered. And then, of course, you know, a couple big, big plays in in the second in the overtime for Cal. So um, obviously, the defense deserves quite a bit of credit. J.T. Shrout coming off the bench played very well. You could not have asked for much better from what he did at the end. And then for the first time, we realized that maybe some of these guys who weren't making plays under Carl Durrell can make plays if they're given the opportunity. Just to jump in with a little. Just one observation, the first play of the game, the way they opened up, very aggressive, great play call. Everything was fine except the catch. But, boy, you've got to give the coaches credit for that. And I like their aggressive style. That was cool. Okay. Well, Neil, let's stay on the offensive side there. Again, not exactly a huge offensive output. Again, yes, Daniel Arias 
dropped the ball on the first play and also dropped the ball on third down the second possession. So in the first quarter, C went three and out, three and out, three and out. But fortunately, there was two missed field goals on the part of Cal and turnover on downs, interception. So the defense kept it a 0-0 game after the end of the first quarter, which considering C had been outscored 54 to 10 in the first quarter and the first five games was pretty even good to be at 0-0. So is the offense, again, the numbers are not spectacular. And if you look at Owen McCowan, he was only responsible for three points. JT Shrout was responsible for 17. The coach says, Coach Sanford says that even though McCowan was pulled, you know, with slight injury, that he is the starter. Is there any chance of a quarterback controversy at the University of Colorado because of uh, what Shrout was able to accomplish? Or is it better to keep the first team snaps with uh, Owen McCowan if he's ready to go against the Oregon State Beavers? I was curious about that, too, because like Brad, I was very impressed with Shrout. And I have to confess, uh, I like his game and talent. He needs to, to round off some rough edges and just to calm down and, and, and um, not be so twitchy with some of his throws. But he made some throws, I think, that no one else on the campus could make. They were terrific. He gets the ball out quickly. Uh, and they allowed him to throw some screen passes. He got the ball out there very quickly, which is a big advantage on those plays. The offense generally, I liked their plan. I liked uh, some of their execution. I think they're still confused on pass protection. For example, the big hit that McCown took on fourth and two, and that just seemed to be a miscommunication between the guard and the tackle on that right side. And that stuff should be ironed out by now because Cal didn't run some elaborate stunt. It was just pointing at a guy and taking him. And for some reason it didn't happen. Uh, almost got our QB hurt. So I think they've got some other stuff to iron out that for right now, this part of the season should already be there. That said, they seem to be allocating the ball, especially in the pass game, to guys that can really do something with it. And I'm talking about MLC. And man, oh man, he had a great game. Uh, I think some of the other players, Hankerson made good plays, lots of effort, and it just seemed to have a little life in them. And I like the play calling. And I think we got a read now that we've been wondering about, at least I have for the last couple of years, of who's having final say over the call sheet and the calls during the, day, uh, the game. And I'm glad to see that our head coach with his coordinator is opening things up. And if they continue to do that, I think the offense will continue to improve. They're not there yet. Okay. Well, yeah, any, any improvement is improvement for the offense. And the same, Brad, for the, for the defensive side of the ball, came in last in the nation in rushing defense and gave up 35 yards. And this is, you know, with Jay, we talk all about Jay Knott, who had over 270 some yards rushing against Arizona, and they shut down the the rushing attack. And you noted when we did the preview last week that against Washington State, that once they got taken out of their rushing game, they kind of gave up on it and started, you know, relying on the passing game. I think talking about they've had over 50 passes in the game, um, which is not what Cal wanted to do. So same defensive players, but it seemed like they were much more aggressive and uh, much more confident, at least playing the game. 
we've talked at length about is it talent or is it coaching on the defense it appears to be very clearly coaching yeah the the defense simply looked more energized they looked better they looked much more decisive they looked like they knew where to be it felt like in the past or the defense was coaching scared trying not to make the big play and so they gave up the running in an amazing amount you know i think cal being held to 1.6 yards per rush is pretty amazing for this defense. Nobody would have predicted that. Literally nobody, and we didn't. But they, you know, they just gave up on it. And we made them do that. And then we finally made some plays in the backfield, which we had not been doing. So I, you know, I don't know what was in those guys' head under the last defensive coordinator, but it does appear that some coaching occurred to be there's the guy with the ball, go hit him. And yeah, that yeah. may be what these people do best. And, you know, they were just, they were guys who were making plays that we hadn't seen make plays. I mean, and Josh Chandler, Semedo has probably been the best defensive player of the year, or, or Trevor Woods, and both of them had great games. Yeah, And yeah. You, you, will, you will hardly see a more important play than Trevor Woods realizing he was beat and outworking somebody to stop that reception in overtime the ball was thrown too weak yeah the receiver didn't go forward but trevor woods did not give up on it and there's a lot you can get away with if you don't give up on stuff yeah no that was a amazing play by trevor woods but it's as much like you said the fault of the receiver that was just going to stand there and look like hey nobody's even covering me i just catch it i just drop the ball and it's a touchdown if he'd taken even one step towards the ball it would have been a tie game going into second overtime. So Cal certainly gave CU enough opportunities to win the game. And Brad, you and I were talking right after the game. We didn't have the stats at that point, but talked about tackles for loss and getting behind the line of scrimmage. And for the game, there were 10 tackles for loss. In the first five games of the year, CU had 18 tackles for loss. So averaging right about, you know, three to three and a half tackles for loss per game, and they had 10 against the Cal Bears. So we can enjoy it as long as we can because it might not be a number of wins that we get to enjoy, but we do have to move on to our tips for the Oregon State Beavers, who are five and two, coming off a 24 to 10 win at home against Washington State. Neil, you want to start off on the talent side? What what did you find out? What did you look at in terms of uh, what Oregon State brings to the the game that's going to be played in a half-full Corvallis Stadium because they're still renovating it? So it's going to be jam-packed on one side of the field, but you might get a couple aerial shots and see that the other half is empty. Well, first I congratulate them on renovating their stadium. Sure would be nice to have some of that at Folsom on that west side. But Oregon State under Jonathan Smith has become a good offensive team, diverse, based on the running game. And that means based on their O-line, their offensive line, again, is playing very well. They're physical. They're mobile. They don't miss assignments. And the running backs... Uh, and O-line coordinate very well in their running game. I think they're going to be hard to stop. It'll be interesting to see how our revived defense, where some of the talent is showing through, goes up against that offensive line of the Beavers. 
that's going to be a very good matchup and one to watch probably determinative of the game. I think they may out, out uh, talent us a little bit in that matchup with quarterback. Uh, I think we have to go with Oregon state. I think they're, their guys are more experienced. They're not flashy, but they, they get the job done. Their offensive coordinator, Lindgren, has done a fabulous job since he's been at Oregon State. And I think he's going to have some creative stuff to throw at us. Last week, we had the advantage on defense of no one seeing the scheme that was going to be played. Now there's tape on what the Bucs do. It'll be interesting to see how uh, getting into, sorry, jumping the gun a little bit, but I think there's going to be some interesting chess match between coordinators there. That'll be fun to watch. But I think overall on offense, they probably have more talent than we do. Okay. Well, Brad, you mentioned uh, offensive coordinator Brian Lindgren, which of course is a, a name familiar to CU fans, is a former offensive coordinator at CU. And one of the 47 names that have been mentioned so far as a potential candidate <laughs> to be the next head coach at the University of Colorado quarterbacks you know they had chance nolan who's a name that cu fans are familiar with he's played against colorado but he was injured a couple of weeks ago ben gulbrinson has started the last two games he had a good numbers game against stanford including the game winner with less than a minute to go he only threw for 141 yards against washington state but that was enough Neil mentioned the running attack. Damian Martinez had 111 yards against Washington State on only 16 carries. So Oregon State, I think, would you be agree? I remember us talking about this in August when we were talking about the preview for this game. Oregon State's not great at anything, but they're good at everything. And I kept looking for whether it's their rushing attack, their rushing defense, passing attack, pass defense something that would stand out and say, oh, okay, this is why they're five and two. And there's really nothing dramatically impressive about Oregon State in any one facet unless you found something different. But it just seems like they're they're very good at a lot of things, but they're not superior at anything. Well, and, you know, for example, they're running game. They've got two guys with three guys with over 50 rushes. And Almost over or nearly 300 yards. Gobrinson's fine. Takes care of the ball, gets what they need to be done. Their defense, which is third in the Pac-12, does everything pretty well. Um, they don't, they don't give up the big play. They don't, you know, they are a good but not great rush defense. They are a good but not great uh passing defense. But it's hard to break anything against them. They are, uh, you know, they're they're not an exciting team to watch. They're kind of, uh, you know, a step down Wisconsin, which I fear <laughs> is what we're going to run into, is that, you know, they're just going to grind it to you. They're capable of scoring. There's no doubt about that. They can, uh, you know, with the exception of Stanford, which was first start from Gulberson and SC, who's just better than they are, they've scored some points but they do it generally by kind of grinding out the ball and the weather may be cruddy too. So I, this may be a wet sloppy. They're just going to run it up against us game. Um, and I think in that game, their uh, talent on the offensive line probably matters a great deal. Okay. Well, Neil, 
they only gave up 10 points to Cameron Ward and the Washington State offense, which I think we would all tend to agree is superior in talent to the Colorado offense, certainly in skill positions. And well, the offensive line is a whole different thing to talk about. But if a Washington State can only come up with 10 points in good conditions, if the conditions aren't great in Corvallis on Saturday night, and the Colorado offense is still only scoring 13 points, 14 points a game after we hit the midway point of the season, where are the points going to come from? How is CU going to score uh, enough, first of all, to try and win the game, but even how is Colorado offense going to score, period, against this defense? Oregon State has a very good red zone defense, and Colorado does not have a very good red zone offense. So my fear is we're going to be trading field goals for touchdowns with Oregon State. Unless we can somehow solve their defense in the red zone, we may do well between the 20s, but I think that's going to be an important matchup right there. And I'll give you the number when we get to stats, but it really is a stark difference. Okay. Well, moving on to tangible intangibles. Brad, the intangibles, I think, for Colorado – you know, of course, you're looking at the, uh, I call it the interim coach bump. The fired teams or the teams that have fired coaches were 1-15 and 15 against FBS foes. They're now 7-5 and five against FBS foes after they fired their coach. And, of course, Colorado is 1-0. and oh. Is this something that CU's going to build on? Is that momentum? Or is it, uh, I don't like the phrase, but I think it's appropriate, a dead cat bounce that uh, – <laughs> We're going to be facing with the University of Colorado that uh, there was some life in the team playing at home against a relatively mediocre team, but that's kind of one and done. They're the Iowa State of the 2022 season going harking back to the 1980 and 84 teams that only won one game by beating Iowa State each of those years. I fear, you know, even if there is a bounce, even if there is enthusiasm, even if there is hope and faith, going on the road, playing a team that has, you know, they're playing to qualify for a bowl. This is a team that thinks they can go to a decent bowl. They've got nothing to plan ahead for. They've got a bye week after us. They had, you know, the Washington State win was a big one for them. So they've got every bit, every reason to think they can win and they can play better. So I, I think that CU will continue to pay, play better, but I think they're running into a team that is substantially better than the one they just beat with a lot more to play for. And that's my biggest concern. Yeah. Well, Neil, as Brad mentioned that, you know, they, they're up to five and two and it's a big deal for them. You would think, okay, Oregon state's been playing a lot better. They went to a bowl game last year, but that was their first bowl game since 2013. And one thing I, I found out that I didn't know, the win against Washington State, you would thought, okay, well, they're pretty even teams. They're both four and two, both kind of had that dark horse thing going for them about the season coming in. This was the first time Oregon State had beaten Washington State in nine years. So it was a big win to beat the Cougars because they'd had eight straight losses against the Cougars. So they've got some momentum coming into this game as well. Washington State is a salty team. I've watched them play a little bit. They're tough on defense. So Oregon State handled them. I think that means Oregon State has 
a pretty good team, but they have momentum. They have something to play for. Uh, I think they're going to be psychologically ready to go. Now, whether or not CU can maintain that same level and pitch of emotion and excitement and effort remains to be seen. I'll be an optimist and say, I think CU is going to come into the game with a lot to play for too. They think that they have some chance to salvage the the season, not necessarily get to a bowl, but just to, you know, make it, make it not a disaster. So I, I think the bus have a lot to play for too, but I do think that Oregon state has a lot more to play for and a little more to play with. And so the intangibles probably fall to their advantage also. Yeah. I like, yeah, I think a lot more to play for and a lot more to play with. I think that's a, that might be the phrase of the week. Well, Brad, you mentioned that they're going on to the preparation schedule part that Oregon State has a bye week coming up afterwards. They do play Washington in a big game in Seattle after, but they have two weeks to prepare for it. Colorado is going to return for a homecoming game against Arizona State. Well, we've talked many, many times about Colorado doesn't have the right to look forward, look past anybody. (laughs) Uh, So um, it's safe to say that uh, CU's not – already gearing up for the Arizona State game by looking past Oregon State, but any chance that Oregon State is a 23-point favorite is saying, okay, if we could take out Washington State, a bitter rival in the North Division or what used to be the Pac-12 North Division, a team we haven't beaten in a long time, able to take them down and move up a step in the ladder of the pecking order, that they look at CU maybe the way Cal did, that um, it's just, you know, blip on the schedule, get their sixth win, and then start worrying about bigger and better things. No. I, do I think Oregon State's going to come out fired up? Do I think they're going to view this as their big game of the year? No. I think they're going to take a very workmanlike approach. The difference between them and Cal is they're at home. And this is a good home team. And, again, they can spend an entire week playing hard and then rest up. Yeah, they'd love to beat Washington, but they're not going to be thinking about that. So, you know, this is just, again, right now this feels like a team that just does its dang job. Now, they can give up points. It's not like they've been shutting teams down. And, you know, I think there is a chance CU can score some against them, but this feels, again, like a game that Oregon State puts away in the second half, not to preview, but if they stay in it, if CU can't get an early shot, then I think Oregon State can just grind it out, and that's how they do it. Yeah. Well, Neil, they're probably looking that way, or at least uh, Las Vegas seems to think that. And Colorado, you know, if you look back to the last one-win season, the 2012 season after the – that was the last time the Washington State game, which – you know, they won on the road after giving up 69 points to Fresno State the week before, 35 points in the first quarter. Went on to uh, lose their next, you know, seven games by 25 points or more. It was just a one-shot deal. Is that probably what we're looking at in terms of Colorado and their schedule, that this is just not one of the games that, they realistically have a shot at winning. Generally, I think the bookmakers are ignoring 
CU's win last week over Cal. And truth be told, Cal did a lot to help CU win, especially in overtime. As Brad said, CU took advantage of the breaks, but they didn't really show out as a dominant team. And with preparation this next week, I think CU on offense needs to be ready to pull out the stops and maybe not just trick plays, but be innovative on offense. And they showed some of that. CU needs to execute better. They need to learn their assignments, especially in pass protection, so that they need to do a couple of things. And it's weird because they've got to go back to basics in one area, but then they really have to think out of the box in terms of their offensive game plan try to take advantage of the areas where they may have um, a talent advantage or a little scheme advantage. But I think 23 sounds a little bit high because I'm not sure that Oregon, even though they score about 30 a game, Oregon State, excuse me, scores about 30 a game. I think CU is going to score more than seven or 10. <laughs> sure, well, do it, but I just haven't done it. Yeah, I mean, well, Washington State only scored 10, but Again, as you both, both have mentioned, they have given up points in bunches to teams like Arizona and Stanford, which are not noted to be, you know, dominant teams. But five and two, their only losses were to ranked teams, um, USC and to Utah. So uh, there are other five games where they weren't playing ranked teams. They were able to come away with, with victories. I've watched part of the um, OSU USC game and USC pulled it out uh, in the last series by the narrowest of margins. That touchdown pass that put USC ahead was maybe an inch away from a uh, defender's hand. So when OSU is motivated, they can play with anybody. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll hope they're not motivated. <laughs> so, <laughs> and it is something different to play USC, but yeah, it was a, a they very could have easily have beaten USC and actually probably deserved to beat USC. They weren't very competitive against Utah on the road, but that's the only game that they really didn't play particularly well throughout. Brad, let me, you know, the stats are still what the stats are for CU. They, eat, you know, inched up a little bit. Thanks to the victory, up to 106th in rushing, still 116th in passing, 124th in total offense, 129th in scoring offense. That didn't change. They are no longer the worst rushing defense in the country. Moved from 131st to 129th, giving up you know, only the 35 yards to Cal. Passing 57th, total yards 124th, and scoring defense 127th. Any stats that you'd like to pass along. I've got some actual positive stats because we're going to use that when we get a chance, but anything statistically about the game that uh, you think will make a difference in the outcome? I, again, my concern is the Oregon state has those three play, three rush. I mean, they just rush a guy and then they rush a guy and then they rush another guy. Um, they don't have a game breaker um, in terms of catching the ball. They're going to just keep hitting you with, with a, few plays they're not a big play team i don't think they've got necessarily any back any big plays against good against any of the good defenses that they faced so you know i 
think stats wise, what you see is is a balanced team is trying to protect their freshman quarterback, and probably will continue to do that. Okay, Neil, you were chomping at the bit to give us some stats. So, uh, what are your your stats of the week for our, our faithful listeners that are excited about CU being one and zero under Mike Sanford? Oh, goody! This is kind of my favorite part, but um, <laughs> one stat. To, to build on this is CU uh, red zone offense is 81st and OSU's red zone defense is number nine. So that could be where the game hinges. Probably going to be more than that. Uh, the other, and I'm not sure it's an official stat maybe, but it's compiled somewhere, is gash plays of more than 20 yards. We gave up a ton to TCU and to Minnesota and others. And I think maybe there were a couple of long pass plays, but maybe only one running play I can remember that 35 yarder in the third of the fourth quarter. CU shut down the long running play. If they can continue to do that this week and keep it, you know, at a small number, they have a chance. But I think the thing that's going to really tell is our lack of, how should I say, and I don't want to be rude, but our lack of push on the offensive line, that's very important in the red zone. And when you match it up against a good red zone defense, um, I think, as I said earlier, we may be kicking a lot of field goals. Well, if we can get, if we can drive that far. But towards the, the numbers that you were just kind of alluding to, in the first five games, CU gave up 19 plays of 20 or more yards and 50 plays of 10 or more yards. So that's almost to me, 10 per game of 10 play of plays going for 10 yards or more. Against Cal, it was just one play over 20 yards and five over 10 yards. So it was a, a dramatic improvement on the defensive side. And the third down stops, I think, was particularly one stat that stood out to me because CU entered the game last in the nation in third down defense, giving up first downs over 57% of the time on third down. You can't get off the field if everybody's converting third downs, but against Cal uh, bears were only five of 17 on third downs. So if you want to look at a stat that really made a difference in the game, it's that I think it's the tackles for loss and the third down stops on defense and, not giving up the big play, which was kind of what Carl Durrell's defense was supposed to be. They were going to protect the defensive secondary. We we're going to give up stuff underneath, and we're going to make teams beat themselves by going into 10, 12 play drives, except for those 10 to 12 play drives turned into be four or five play drives because they were gaining you know, 20 yards of play. There's some talk, you know, let's just talk about the buffs in, in general before we talk about your predictions, some people are very excited about Mike Sanford saying, look what he did in just two weeks. Should he be considered a candidate for the head coaching job? And based upon what he did at Western Kentucky, which was not very successful, and the fact that he was the offensive coordinator for a CU offense that is still not very good, what would it take for Mike Sanford to be even considered a candidate for the, the head coaching position. I did. I had, duh. 
Um, <laughs> a six and zero oh is what you're telling me. No, I mean I'd take at four and two, given this schedule. If he went, as I said, if he went four and two and you know showed life against the two losses, then of course he'd have to be interviewed and go from there. If you're talking about who your head coach should be after one win, then that tells you probably you're concerned about the hiring process. Yeah. But, you know, listen, <laughs> Sanford's, yeah, he's more fun to watch. He's at least energetic on the sidelines. Um, he's getting more out of the players. Um, I hope that his next stop works out well for him, but I don't think it's going to be wearing the headset at CU. Yeah. Neil, pretty safe to say that Mike Sanford's not your first choice? No. Um, but I don't, <laughs> honestly, I can't say that because I don't have a first choice. My head spins every time I look down that list um, of potential coaches. You know, to Brad's point, I, th I think when Brad mentioned that the team has to play well, I want to try to run with that for a minute and say, if Sanford can bring the next five games, six games through where CU does not get blown out, not embarrassed, where they show improvement from week to week, and where the sense he's getting the most out of his talent, I think he will have earned an interview. But if they digress and the energy falls away, then probably not. I don't think he's going to be the head coach, but be interesting to see how the team responds to him over the next few games. Yeah, it will be telling once the uh, level of competition and going on the road improves. Uh, it's tough to find a whole lot of victories in what I keep calling the November we won't want to remember stretch of games. So let's go to your predictions for the game. Brad, the buffs are... 23, 24 point underdogs on the road. Um, wasn't that bad against Cal, like 14 point underdogs, but again, better team and a better team playing at home. So mm -hmm. how do you see the the Saturday night tilt in Corvallis playing out? I think that CU will play better than they have on the road. I think they'll play better, probably even better than they did against Cal but I don't think it'll get the same result. I would like to think they're going to keep it at least closer in the first half. But again, this feels like a game where Oregon state pulls away in the second half. I'm going to give the buffs a little bit of credit, bet on them to cover 17, 34, Oregon or 34, 17, Oregon state. Okay. Well, Neil, that's giving 17 points to a, a CU offense. That's averaging about 15 points a game. So Brad's, living the life of the optimist are you concurring or are you afraid that now that there's a, a game's worth of film on what the bus are trying to do that it's going to be one of those ugly games saturday night well i'm going to say the bus score 16 try to okay. be consistent with my earlier comments one touchdown and three field goals i think that the excuse me the bus i think the bus are going to score 16 not a lot of touchdowns and I don't think that they're going to be able to shut down Oregon State. So I'm going to give them 35 points. And that means taking the over. 
Okay, taking the over and but taking the buffs to to beat the spread. The, yeah, keep it me, within the three the 24, 23 point game being predicted by Vegas. I think Brad's right in the ballpark with total score. Uh, however, I think Oregon State's going to wear us down. They're going to take advantage of the weather. CU is not a great road team. Hasn't been in the last few years. So I'm going to, I think Oregon State probably scores around 35. So if you're a betting person, you take Oregon State and the over. Okay. Well, we will find out if this is a short-lived joy for the Buff Nation or if it's going to be uh, an era of good feelings for Mike Sanford and Sons. Oh, wow. That's a bad one. Uh, <laughs> so sorry for those that have been with us all this time and stuck with us to the end of the podcast uh, for that little pun. But uh, thank you, gentlemen, for talking about the Cal victory, the victory over Cal and the upcoming game against Oregon State. And then we will talk again next week about what happens in Corvallis and what we expect for homecoming in Boulder against the Herm Edwards-less Arizona State Sun Devils. Thank you, gentlemen. Go Buffs! Thanks for listening. And you know I mean that sincerely. As a note for first-time listeners, we are here weekly with our preview review podcast being posted on Tuesdays throughout the season with my written tips being posted on Wednesday morning at the See With The Game website. I hope that you are subscribing to the podcast so that you won't miss any of the upcoming episodes. We have partnered with Mile High Sports and are proud to be part of their podcast network. As before, you can find the See With The Game podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and other podcast sites. Or, if you're just not a fan of downloading podcasts, all of the episodes can be listened to at the See With The Game website. I'll be back next week with Neil and Brad as we review the Oregon State game and preview the Buffs' upcoming homecoming matchup against Arizona State. Until then, be well, stay safe, and go Buffs! Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to cuatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to cuatthegame at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time, when we will again see you at the game. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.